Welcome back to Gold Ribbon Conversations, the podcast created to support families fighting childhood cancer in Ireland. Six children, adolescents and young adults are diagnosed with cancer every week in Ireland and the Gold Ribbon, which illuminates precious light, love, courage and compassion, is a symbol of strength and solidarity for each and every one. My name is Sinead O'Moore and it is my privilege to bring you this podcast on behalf of Childhood Cancer Ireland, a charity founded by and led by parents of children with cancer and survivors who know that one of the greatest sources of strength for this fight is conversation. Throughout this podcast, I talk to families impacted by childhood cancer, as well as the experts who care for our children's health, education and happiness. Yes, we talk about the fear and the pain, but we also talk about the hope and the friendship and the community that exists here because you are not alone. Childhood Cancer Ireland values every single donation while on its mission to help more children, adolescents and young adults survive cancer and thrive as adults and support all those dealing with the long-term effects of illness and trauma. You can help by sharing this podcast and by texting GOLD to 50300 and donating €4 Euro or visit childhoodcancer.ie for more. To begin this new season, we sit down with mum of four, Carly Ellis, as she takes us through the cancer journey her family have been on since her daughter Aoife was born in 2010. Born with a birthmark on her face, it was decided to run some routine tests to make sure this type of mark wasn't growing internally also. This happened to be a saving grace, as while the birthmark was completely unrelated, these tests discovered Eva's optic nerve tumour at only six weeks old. In this episode, we talk about the medical road that followed, but also the life of a parent. Carly very generously details the impact the diagnosis had on her mental health, her career, their finances, her motherhood, as she became a full-time carer for her daughter while trying to keep the door to work open. We talk about the weight of the trauma and her breakdown, how disruptive this new life was for her other children, and how the support of her extended family was essential, and how immensely proud she is for how Aoife somehow met each new challenge with a level of courage that no little girl should have to have. This episode will help other parents. This conversation is the reality of fighting childhood cancer. Carly, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We are here to talk about your daughter, Aoife, uh, turning 12 soon. Yeah, yeah, in <laughs> October. I can't believe it yet. Um, her diagnosis came quite early on when she, after she was born. Um, can you take us back to how all of this occurred in your life? Sure. So um, Aoife was born, um, she was born actually 10 days early, very quickly popped into the world, uh, barely made it into the hospital. Um, and when she was born, she had a slight mark on her on her face, um, which we thought was down to the, the birth. Mm. Um, 
but um, when I brought her home and the health nurse visited, she said to just keep an eye on it. And she said, weekly, take a picture every week, the same day, every week. And she said, when it comes to the six week mark or the six week checkup for the baby, um, instead of bringing her to your GP, bring her back into the hospital, just ring the hospital. And, and there was absolutely no issues. We did that. So we could see week by week that there was a development on her face. Um, so it turned out she had a facial hemangioma, which is a birthmark effectively. Um, and we brought her in for a six week check in, back into the coom. They, they were fantastic and got us straight into Crumlin actually the next day um, and for a check because while it's fine to have it on the face, you can have them internally as well. And the type of uh, birthmark Eva had, it grows for about nine months, then it will stop and it will recede itself. Um, so she, we went into Crumlin because it was quite close to the eye and it was going to grow. Um, they decided to just step in with medication just to stop it growing. Um, and they, they did a scan because you can have them internally as well as externally on the face. So Aoife's diagnosis was literally, it was an accident. You know, they, they discovered that they cannot relate the facial hemangioma to the tumours. So it's completely unrelated. So we just think this is like, this was a, our blessing in disguise. Because if she hadn't, if that hadn't have been found out, Aoife was continuously monitored after that. Um, and if we had left it too late, um, we mightn't have picked up on the signs that her eyesight was deteriorating or that something was happening. And by the time she might have got a diagnosis, she might have lost a lot of her eyesight. But thankfully, she was monitored. Um, when she was about two years old, they discovered her eyesight was deteriorating a little bit and she had her scan and discovered the tumors were growing and they were starting to affect her. So she had her first um, chemotherapy protocol when she was uh, yeah, two, two years old. When, when you're expecting your baby, you, you're always thinking the best and, and the best possible scenarios. You're ne never thinking, oh my God, I'm going to have a a child who is going to have a sickness or an illness or something um, and even when she had her facial hemangioma um, like it was quite severe in some of the picture you know in, in our her baby pictures and people would be looking at at you know she'd be in her little carry cot and people are looking at her and you'd see the parents look and do you know what I loved? I loved children who came over and said, what's on her face? And I said, oh, that's, I'd explain that's just a birthmark. And they'd be like, okay. And they'd go on, you know, and do you know what? I just loved the innocence and just, they just get on with their kids. And it was just, they actually, like, I, I remember being in Smith's and like that, the parent was looking and you can see them looking. And I, listen, we're all, we're all guilty of it. We all do that. Um, and then the child came over and the parent nearly died. And I was mm. like, it's fine. I'm, I'm happy to explain it. And kids just accept it. You know, there's no, there's no issues with them or anything. They just get on with it and accept it. Mm. Um, but I do like it, it's, that was the start of our, our journey as such. Um, we never stopped going into the hospital after that, but it's, it, it's, you get on with it, you kind of just think you have to. 
get on with it. But initially it's like, okay, she has this. Now we've discovered she has the tumours. We'll deal with it. She was fine. Um, when the chemo hit, we, we had actually just had Cara or Kaylin, my other daughter, um, when we were told that Aoife's um, eyesight was deteriorating and they were going to step in with chemotherapy. Kaylin was six weeks old at that stage. So Aoife had been doing well. So we, we, we it sounds funny, like, but she'd been doing well. So we had our, our next child, you know, and um, by the time she, Aoife actually started, because she had to have a biopsy done, that had to be all tested. Um, there was some setbacks because she happened to be six the day she was due to have her biopsy. Um, so it was actually like nine months, actually seven months later um, after being told that Aoife was going to be having chemotherapy that she did. So her older brother, Rian, he was four and Kaylin was, Kaylin was then eight, nine months, going on nine months when Aoife started her first chemo. Um, so it was very, um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, you're told this is happening. I was working at the time. My husband was working, Robbie. Um, you come home after spending a week in hospital, you know, she got her Freddie in, which is her Hickman line. That's where they administer and they take bloods and everything. Um, she got that in. She had her first round of chemotherapy. We came home and I had to, I remember sitting at the kitchen table. So I had to apply for carer's leave. I had to apply for a medical card. I had to, there was so many things that had to happen. And I, I'll never forget, I can even feel myself getting a bit, you know, when I think back to this day and we sat at the kitchen table. Aoife was in bed, the kids were in bed. And just, there was paper everywhere. Because not only do you have to apply forms, you have to give supporting documents. You have to find like six, Robbie had to get, and I had to get um, like, pay slips and bank statements and sitting at the, the table was covered covered in sheets of paper in documents in stuff and I sat there and I bawled and um, I think it was the first time I allowed myself to to do that and um, because you're in the hospital you're so busy although it's upsetting and and but you're 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 in front of people and you're dealing with it you're just getting on with it and I remember sitting there thinking, I don't even know where to start. And it's so hard when you're put into that situation that you have to do these stupid extra things. And to me, they're like, they have to be done because we needed, we depended on my wage coming in. I needed to get the leave. I needed to get the medical card to try and, you know, sort out everything. But like, it was so, I don't know what the word is, you're trying to deal with looking after her and everyone else. And then you have to do these finic, like oh, just silly little things. I can't even think of the word I'm trying to think of, but, it's, but they're it's just, too, it's too much. It's, it's, it's all just too much. You're allowed break. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's the, it's the paperwork that pushes yeah. you over the and, edge. And, and literally sometimes it was the little things it would, 
you know, you'd go on and you'd be fine and dealing with things and it'd be those little things would just make you like have your little breakdown, your little cry or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, like, and it's known where to start, you know, um, it's, it's very difficult. And we, we went through the, her first protocol was 18 months long. And like, Aoife was amazing. Kids are so amazing. Like, just got on with it. She never whinged. She never, you know, she never looked for things. She never, there was no feeling sorry for herself. Mm. There was, I remember her, you know, um, being ill after, you know, you know, one of the, the protocols or one of the sessions. And she was like, there goes my cocoa pops <laughs> and literally like you know it was just and then she'd be up and she'd be like what what can I do now ma'am can I have something to eat now and there'd be little things she just never phased her like never ever sort of felt like she was just going to lie there she never would lie down you'd be trying to get her to lie down to just rest up for a bit and they just you know get on with it and like even the hair falling out you know it was it was more affected me more so I think than it did her or or you know th those around us you know it, it affected us all rather than her so much um she was still so little and so young did you have to explain what was about to happen what was going to happen why it was happening like how did you how did you build a story for her yeah we we would have been very open with her as I know she was only two but we would have she obviously wouldn't have, we wouldn't have explained everything but we would have been open that she has these tumors in her head and sometimes she needs the, the chemotherapy to help stop the tumors very very basic um information but like she would have been we would have explained everything going along as such we did tell her that the hair, her hair would be falling, that she would lose her hair and she would be bald like dad. That's that's the way it was. Um, so she had, you know, long, very straight, long hair um, and they had advised us to maybe get it cut up a bit shorter, you know, so it wasn't as severe. Um, once we started to notice that it was starting to kind of come away and um, my, my, my cousin's a hairdresser she came up and she she cut it up just to you know a bob style and um yeah no it 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 didn't she she was okay with it and she was happy once you told her okay. if she she if she didn't know something was happening she then I would find she would be getting worried or upset upset a little bit she's like hold on I don't know what's happening but she was always the type if you explain now in the most basic terms, but if you explain it to her, she was happy enough to, to just go along with it. Um, and we did. We tried to do that. And we have continuously, like even in the later years, she would be sitting with the consultant with us um, and th they would look to see, you know, give me the eye. Do they want, you know, her to know? And I would always say yes, freely, like you know talk about it and then I would afterwards I would sit with Aoife and I'd be like right you know are you happy do you understand you know or 
if she didn't understand something, um, she would always, she would say, I don't know what they're talking about here. And she'd like to just, like that, it's still very basic terms, but she, she likes to just know what's happening. As, as I'm sure we all do, you know. But, but how lovely that that's in us from so young. You know, she mm. was facing this huge test. She's only two. Yeah. Like, and yet, you know, was it's my body and I want to know what's going on with it. Yeah. Yeah, no, she 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 really did. And, you know, she she embraced it as such, like, because she had this, the, the line in her Freddie, we call it. And, um, like, Freddie had to have his bath which was his cleaning, the chest and change, everything. Um, if Eva was having her bath, Freddie had to be wrapped up in plastic and cling film and everything, you know, and she just, that was her Freddie and she looked after it. Just the same way, you know, you know, she knew that her hair was going to go and everything. This was part of it. It was all part of it. Um, but yeah, she was, you know, like... I actually don't know how kids do it. You know, if that was, I just think if, if that was me in my, in that situation, I think I would just put the duvet over my head and not, not move, you know? But uh, yeah, they just get on with it. They know that she knew no difference really. We are delighted to announce that Childhood Cancer Foundation Ireland has been joined by survivors charity Can Care for Living under the new name Childhood Cancer Ireland. Childhood Cancer Ireland will continue to campaign for better supports and services for families and survivors, as well as better treatments and outcomes for children and young people. They will also work hard to respect and honour the memory of all children and young people whose lives have been tragically lost to cancer. Follow Childhood Cancer Ireland on Instagram today and visit childhoodcancer.ie for more information and advice. How long did that go on for? And was there a time thereafter, you know, when it was, you know, a feeling of success and good news and moving forward? Yeah, so so Eva's the first um protocol was 18 months. Um so after that, yeah, she stopped her chemotherapy and things were stable. Um it was good. We felt like we got um got the family back as such. Rean was Green was six then and Kaylin was then um what was she she was a year and a half almost two she was two actually and uh yeah it just um it's funny like we I felt like I don't remember much of Kaylin as a baby and I think it's because I really wasn't in that frame of mind even when I was at home I you know I was on you know, Aoife watch, you know, just constantly thinking of that. So I, there's a lot of things I don't remember of Kaylin as a baby. Mm-hmm. And um, like, I remember on even on Kaylin's first birthday, Aoife spiked temperature. So we had to go straight into the hospital. And uh, I remember being so upset. And it was a routine temperature check. We'd done this thousands of times. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just it was just because I was like I'm missing her birthday and you know and the nurse was there listen she's not going to remember my mom had said listen Kaylin does not know she knows no difference but it's funny when you know you know you know and you feel that I still to this day feel that guilt you know 
but um but thankfully like after the 18 months we seem to just get back to to being a family um and being able to do things because it was very hard you couldn't plan things we learned that very early on you know we'd say oh we're going to go here and we'd tell Rian in particular particularly that we'd be going somewhere if it's spike a temperature we couldn't go she wasn't well enough to go her her, her neutrophils were too too low that we couldn't chance being around other people um so a lot of times we had to cancel or there was I have a very big family and they celebrate everything mm-hmm. so um there was a lot of parties we couldn't go to um now I had family who maybe took rain along and stuff like that but um yeah we learned very quickly not to 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 promise or to plan things um but thankfully we were able to do that then um after the 18 months you know she was well her scans had been well um unfortunately that only lasted for a year and then the tumors had start to grow again so we were back to back to chemo back to back to freddie and um yeah it you, how you, did that feel when like you thought you were at a different place it was like a punch to the stomach you know you just feel that I had a feeling though it's funny how you have this instinct that yeah I was going in we were going in for the scan and you know you have that just that you know that feeling in your gut it's like oh this is it's just something not going to go our way here or something you know it's just a bad feeling and was she uh, displaying yeah. any symptoms or anything um we always know from her eyesight yeah. if her eyesight so her eyesight will maybe start to deteriorate or she mightn't see things things she'll say oh or headaches she'll get headaches and if it's a case of you know a few few times she might have said oh bit of a headache you know and uh or else she mightn't she might say oh that's can't see that right you know or she might need it'd just be a glasses her cha- a change of a glasses and she doesn't wear particularly thick glasses or anything like that um but you just yeah you just get a feeling and we we were back back on the chemo um but it was a different a different chemo and it was just for a year and they were happy after that she didn't lose her hair she it was a it was a milder sort of form of chemo it was more to maintain um you know maintain the tumors rather than reduce the size of them and uh after the year she came off that i'd gone back to work actually after after um after the you know she got over the it was two years I took two years in total for the for the carers leave and um when we when she had to go back to back on chemo I said that's fine I'll apply for carers leave again and I couldn't apply for carers leave again because I'd already taken it to look after Aoife I could have applied for it for one of my other kids because I'd never taken it to look after one of those but I couldn't because uh, it was Aoife again. And How does that make any sense? 
I, I actually, I was there and I ended up bringing them because I was like, no, this has to be something like there's surely something wrong here because my other kids don't need it. She's back on treatment again. Mm. No, couldn't do it. Still can't actually. I, I actually still think it just baffles me. Um, how... If you're a carer, there's more chance of you having to be a carer for the same person. Yeah. Multiple times. Yeah, yeah. Especially in the case of caring for kids. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, no, you can't do it. I couldn't have, couldn't, couldn't do it. So where? Couldn't take this, carer's leave. Where so, did this leave you? Um, I felt I was in limbo. And I actually went to my GP yeah. and I was like, I don't know what to do. And they were, they were very, so good to me they were like no you're actually you need to look after you now and you need to take so they signed me off sick and um I was on sick leave then um for that year and um so she went off went back got through that year everything was a bit harder because they were older and they knew more about it um we had planned a family holiday that didn't happen and um and I forget Rean say stupid stupid tumors is what he said stupid tumors you know he says it's just not fair mm-hmm. so that's coming from him like it's not even Aoife who's saying this it's it's the older brother like so it's amazing how it really does like just affect everybody in the house and um well, we got there, got through it. She was off it. I went back to work. And um, I, I, yeah, we, she was, I got a phone call in work to say from the school to say Aoife wasn't feeling well. And I said, okay, I, I rang, my mom looked after them. Mm-hmm. Um, I rang my mom and I said, listen, you look at her. I said, tell me if she's if she's acting up now or if this is genuine you know you wouldn't know sometimes if there was something you know going on if they were saying oh I have pain in my tummy or whatever she hadn't been sick she hadn't there was there was nothing so um it was actually um Robbie's dad went to collect her because my mom didn't drive and he he drove down and collected her and dropped her up to my mom and she walked in the door and vomited everywhere mm. So mom rang me and she says, no, Carly, she is sick. She says, and she says, she's really not herself. Like Eva could, could be sick and would bounce back. And she said, she's not, she's herself. I said, fine. I said, I'll, I was a bit concerned then. I, she said, she said, she's just lying here and she's her head. She said her head is at her and her stomach. So I said, okay. I said, I rang the hospital for, I was in work and I went in and I just, rang the hospital and um, got talking to her, her CNS, her, her clinical nurse specialist. She says, right, I'm going to have a chat with Michael Capra is her, her consultant. Um, I'm going to have a chat with Michael and I'll ring you back. I left work and got home and she was just so lethargic and just, and I was like, oh no, this is not even just a tummy bug you know it's she just didn't nearly the eyes were nearly rolling in her head sort of thing 
So he rang me literally, I think I'd only gotten in about 10 minutes into my mom's and he rang me. He says, okay, just bring her straight down. We'll check her out. I'm here. Bring her straight down to the ward. Grand. I did that. I actually got my dad to drop me in so I could sit with her in the back and um, into the hospital and sent me, literally walked into the ward and they said, and the nurses, they obviously know as well, said, no, Carly, go straight up to CT. They're waiting on you. Did that, came back down. And with that, she kind of perked up a little bit. And I'd, you know, the, the hospital bag, as I say, always has a drink and a few crackers or a few sweets or books and coloring books and whatnot. And so she was sitting there coloring, eating a few crackers when Michael walked in. And um, yeah, his face just said it all. He said, yeah. He said, we're going to send you over to Temple Street. So she has hydrocephalus. So it's where the, the brain, it's not, the fluid is not draining off the brain. And he said, no, she is going to need surgery. He said, I'll, I'll be in touch with them over there and we'll be in touch, whatever. He said, you know, but it's very straightforward. He kind of explained everything. So we, um, Robbie came in and we literally packed up straight away to head over to Temple Street. And yeah, I got there. So she had her surgery the next day. And um, she, uh, it all went fine. It all went fine. Um, and, but she was continuously, she used to wake up feeling sick after lying down. She'd wake up and she'd feel sick. And this kind of continued even after having the surgery. And um, so they did another CT and it, it turned out. So the, the, the shunt, they had to insert the shunt. That's what the surgery was. And that drained the fluid. So that did drain the fluid from one side, but the other side was still, wasn't draining from the other side. So she had to have another surgery to, to just, um, effectively put a hole through her her brain so the shunt would function for both sides so yeah had had the second surgery um and thankfully that worked that all went fine and then we were back over to Crumlin after she healed and got out of out of there um we were in there for were in there for eight eight or ten days or something um, which is amazing after having two brain surgeries to get out <laughs> after that. Like I just, um, and I was driving out and she asked me, can I go home and jump on the trampoline? Like, oh. and, and I was like, uh, not a hope. <laughs> like, but um, yeah. And um, so went, went home um, and then we were back in Crumlin and yes, she was back. Had to go back on, back on chemotherapy. And at this stage, um, Michael, her, her. How old is she at this point? This point, so that was about four years ago now. So she was, was she? Oh God, she'd be heading for eight. So she's just going on twelve now. So two brain so, surgeries, and now heading into her third surgery. protocol of chemo, and she's third protocol of chemotherapy. Yeah, um, she would have been probably seven at the time, seven, um, and. When we went in to see Michael and uh, told her, you know, said, right, we, we need to, Freddie has to go back in, is what he said. And so it's the first time Aoife 
actually she started to cry and she was like I don't want Freddie again mm. and um and and we said you know as we said to her to Zifa Freddie and chemo is going to kick this tumor's butt that's what we said so she started to laugh then she turned to Michael and she says am I going to be bald like that again and uh, he said maybe you might he said it just this this chemo um some people go bald some people don't he says we just have to wait and see so he explained then that he was putting her forward as long as we consented to um go on a, it was a, a children's trial drug so it's a drug that they actually used in adults but they were only trialing it in the uk for children um and that they were hoping to put her forward um at the time he had said it may be a case that we might have to go to england and if that was something we'd be willing to do and and everything and um of course like there was no issues we we'd have done anything so i said by all means yeah we we want this we want whatever um so he said he'd be working on that while she's getting her her chemo um so we did we started the chemo um and after four months actually only four months of chemo uh he came back to say yes she can get the trial drug and they've agreed to have it here in Ireland for her amazing so yeah and like listen that was all down to him he is just he like I tell you I worship the ground the man walks on he's he's just amazing and he's so lovely um but that was all down to them getting it here and I think she was actually the first uh, child in Ireland to start this drug um I can't don't quote me on that one now, but I think she was definitely one of the first anyway. And um, so she started this, this drug. Um, so she used to have to take it 12 hours apart. She couldn't eat for two hours, um, two hours beforehand and an hour afterwards. So we had to juggle. It was like, oh, when do we give it to her then? She had to eat before school. And then she had to eat in the evening and everything. So, so it ended up being six o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the evening. So we'd um, get up and give it to her at six o'clock in the morning. Then she'd be able to eat from seven, and then get ready for school and whatnot. And same in the evening. So, at, so at three o'clock, I'd have my alarm on my phone to say feed Eva. Mm. <laughs> um, actually, and we we ended up getting her a medical watch, and she was amazing. Like she would say, "It's time to." eat I have to eat now you know and uh, so she'd have to have stopped eating at four o'clock in the evening in the afternoon and then wouldn't be able to eat until seven like we were at things we'd go to parties we'd go to things and Eve would be like somebody'd hand her a sweets bag of sweets or I remember being we were at the theatre and all the family my aunts my cousins all the kids were there and my aunt was handing out the sweets and Eve was like no I can't eat like what are you doing giving it to me but she was very much she looked after it herself and people would probably look at us thinking they're terrible parents aren't they we'd go in for something to eat somewhere and it could be six o'clock so she'd have just had her tablet and we'd order and I'd be like oh no no she can eat in a little bit and they must look at me thinking god what is she like but Eva, she was 
she was fine with it. It never phased her. Never, never once did she say, oh, I'd love to eat or like that she'd go to there'd be parties and it always it always comes back to the parties but that's when you notice it most that all the other kids are digging in or you know and um never bothered her never ever bothered her she never moaned about it she never did anything you know and um so this went on for three and a half years she was on that drug so that brought us up to like March last year she stopped she came off at last March last year and um yeah she's 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 yeah she's doing very well she's uh scans seem to be stable it's a slight change in one of them last time but very very minimal that they're not worried um and a scan now next month but uh she also like not only did she go through all the chemotherapy there's so many other things besides you know like she had to attend the endocrine um uh, clinic as well like she went she hit early puberty when she was seven and things like that oh dear. so she she ha- was on injections for that mm-hmm. and that that I found was actually difficult because when we went into the endocrine I hadn't spoken to her about periods about about puberty about anything at that stage and they were contemplating leaving her or or letting her progress naturally at that age and I was like I was like oh hold, hold on a second mm. I said no no uh, you know and then they ultimately she's quite small for her age and um, they said no because once you hit puberty you tend to stop growing which I wasn't aware of during puberty you stop growing and so they needed to give her time to grow so they were happy to give her the injections to stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember her, her because we were kind of talking and she didn't know what was going on. This was one of the occasions where she said, ma'am, she looked at me and she just these big eyes and just was like, ma'am, I don't know what they're saying. Like, I don't know what they're, what's going on. And I said, it's all right, Aoife, I'm going to explain now what's happening. And in very basic terms, I, I told her that, you know, bodies change. And it's just happening to you a little bit earlier. Normally it would happen later in, you know, when you're a little bit older. I said, but because of all the chemotherapy and everything you've had, it's just happened a little bit sooner. So you're getting these injections to stop this happening. So it's allowing you to grow. She just accepted that. Once she understood what was going on, um, she just accepted it and just got on with it. Um, she's since come off those injections and she's just everything's happening naturally now and um, she's she's going to be 12 now like I, I can't believe it but yeah she's she's doing well and she's just a little happy like she's a really happy outgoing little little girl she um little girl she's a young woman now really but <laughs> uh, making me sad <laughs> getting getting nostalgic now but um yeah she's she's very outgoing um like she's she had a recent diagnosis of um dyslexia as well which um uh i she had been in, attending a gale school and i moved her to um an english speaking school uh last year so she was going into fifth class and i i i didn't know whether we were you know 
whether it was all the school she missed because she would have missed an awful lot of school and um, things like that. So we were actually delighted to get the diagnosis because it's just, it's going to help us to help her, you know, and it's going to be easier for her. We'll know how to, how she can learn and, and everything. So we don't, that's literally only, we only got that during the summer now, just the last few weeks. And um, like that, again, nothing phases her. She's like, oh yeah, doesn't bother her. Um, and she's, she's just happy out getting on with things. You all seem incredibly, obviously strong, mm. but you've approached it in the way that you've told it today, that with each step, a kind of a real belief and faith of, okay, we're going to get through this bit mm. and we're going to get through this bit. And, you know, as you said, <laughs> I'd be like, I'd be under the duvet at this point being like, cannot yeah. cope, can't face it. Where do you think that came from for you and where were your sources of support? I honestly don't know. I, I just feel like people would say to me, oh my God, you're so strong. And it's like, I don't, like I used, when people said that to me, I felt awful because I didn't feel strong. You just, you just do it because you have to do it. There's, there's no, now I, listen, we are absolutely blessed Robbie's family my family I like I have a very large family that I'm very close to all my aunts and my cousins and everything and um, they were all there for us no matter what and um, my mom my mom and dad like if it's spike a temperature it could be three o'clock in the morning and I'd be like eh, just don't didn't even have to ring could just arrive down at the door with them and um, one day I remember being in mom's getting just getting in from work and um, no it wasn't work I was somewhere and because mom was minding them and I came in and she says Aoife I think Aoife has a temperature and I I was at the stage where I didn't need a thermometer I just needed to feel her forehead literally I'd put my lips to her forehead and I'd be like yeah she has so with that I was like on the phone notify the hospital that I was coming in and just turned to mom I said you got the others you got them she said, yeah of course and I literally walked out the door with Aoife so I there was no I didn't have to worry about the other kids I didn't you know if mom needed anything she had a key to the house to come up and get it we, we both live in Blessington so she's only like you know five minutes away um, and there, there was always somebody around if they needed anything they just grab it and um, I had people just drop stuff like that. I ended up in the hospital and just came straight without, without, mm. I'd always have our hospital, but like it's a hospital bag for just the quick emergencies. And, um, but it wouldn't have everything I would need if I, if we have to stay in. So I'd have people dropping stuff into me and it could be anyone, any of the, whether it be a cousin, my brother, my sisters, you know, my dad, Robbie's parents are there her his sisters um but like certainly wouldn't have got through it without them um and even so after after Aoife's second protocol I went back on well I had been on sick leave um but she had been doing well 
and I had to go back in to the my GP to get um forms signed because I'd been on sick leave mm. you have to get forms signed and I went in and um I completely broke down in the surgery didn't realize that I actually wasn't doing very well myself you know mentally you know um and so like I, I was at the stage where I got the kids up got them out to school and I'd come back and I'd just get into bed it was like I had this draining I couldn't face the thoughts of even the school gate you know when you're collecting and people talking to you that sounds awful but are the thoughts of walking into the shop and people talking to me was um I just couldn't things like that would would really get to me and I didn't actually even realize that there was something going on with me until I went back into the surgery and the doctor um my GP she was looking at me and she was actually so concerned for me and I was like oh I'm fine you know I'm fine even though I was falling and I was breaking down and you know, and Aoife actually at this stage had gotten over that chemotherapy. And I think, I don't know why then particularly, but it was just time to look after me then. I had my own little breakdown and they put me on medication and I went to see a counsellor and it was the best thing I ever, ever did. And I always maintain now, um, I think it should be standard for the whole family if there's any diagnosis it should be standard that they automatically see a counsellor both as a family and maybe individually um, and then decided they might be fine and they might need a counsellor to continue or or even just a yearly drop-in check but for me we you know it should have been something that should have been from day one because and the hospital are fantastic and looking after Aoife but the whole family needs to be looked after in a sense um, and I really like it, I looking back I kind of think Jesus like how I functioned but that was about it I don't think I remember being in at times and I remember just constantly shouting at the kids and Rian in particular, because he was that bit older. Mm. And I remember then sitting down on the bed and we were going somewhere. And I just shouted at him again. Sorry. Sorry. Don't worry. Like, <laughs> the mum guilt gets us all the time. Yeah, you had you time. had you had the world's weight on your shoulders. Yeah, I just remember getting really upset, sitting on the bed, thinking I don't want to be this mother who shouts. And um, I was then, you know, I I got myself looked after, uh, medication and and the counselling, and um, I remember after a few months of kind of doing that. I was out in the garden playing with the kids, actually playing, like I hadn't done that. And I remember laughing and we were just playing football, like in the back garden, messing around. 
And I remember Reen laughing and just looking at me and I was laughing and it just kind of struck me. It was like, I hadn't done that for months. You know, so little things. <laughs> but they're really big things because that's what a childhood and a parent relationship is. And that's that's the mother that you expected you to be, but this happened to your family. Yeah. You know, it's not who you are in a trauma isn't who you are. It's you coping through the trauma. And you're absolutely right. The care can't be physical alone for the patient. You can't do this job without that mental health support. Yeah, I I really feel it's, it's something that really should be from day one. Everyone the whole family definitely should get some some sort of mental support because a sick child a sick child is our worst nightmare yeah and you can only be as strong for them for so long you know so when you said there about like why now for listening to your story i'm like because it was safe for you to fall apart then yeah you know yeah you can can go you, you you weren't letting yourself because yeah, mothers and don't. Parents you just have don't. to keep going, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. You keep going till it's safe to stop. And then sometimes you can't start again. Yeah. Yeah. You need that boost to just get going again. Yeah. But thankfully, like I, I was in a good place by the time. Like I was still seeing the counsellor by the time she ended up having to have her surgeries. And. Um, but it was actually. And I left it with her then. We kind of, you know, said, you know, because I needed to go and be with Eva and concentrate on her. But I, I was actually really in a good place by then. And like I came off the medication. And, like I didn't, I think, did I spend a year on it? Maybe, maybe a year. And um, and I kind of had continued, but I, I kept more in touch with my GP. And uh I kind of know what to look out for if I feel in that way now. You know, if I start to feel, oh, you know, I don't want to. And I know just to kind of look after me because I need to look after me in order to look after them as such. Um, and yeah, so. So, yeah, Aoife's doing great. And we have a little girl as well now, another little girl, Kara. Uh, she's now three. and. Um, so that's four now we have and uh yeah yeah and the cara she has us all wrapped around her finger <laughs> loves and the others are amazing Eva is a real little mammy she's she's going to be a great uh mother and look after look after things she'd she, she I can't and, believe uh, you were going through all of that and another pregnancy and another postpartum and more nights of yeah. no sleep in the house like well, it's funny because people just assume because there's such a gap between um, Kaylin and Cara because Kaylin's nine, she's going to be 10 now next month and Cara's three. Um, Cara was actually planned. Like, yeah. it, in, we had always said we'd go for four kids. Not that plans change. It didn't matter. It didn't matter to us. Um, but Eve had been so, doing so well on the drug and um, I, I was very well and excuse me we just um 
we just decided it was time and it was just it was like there was I don't know how to explain it a just little bit that, of hope yeah and and we just it was just something else we needed something else mm. and she just she kind of just really completes the family and, and it's like we needed just something like that just to complete to complete us she very much completes the family you know it's it's um I sometimes I think I'm mad I'm like so Rena's gone into secondary school and you know Eve is in sixth class Kaylin is going into fourth class and now I haven't I she's only starting play school so it's <laughs> like I'm starting at the beginning again but but listen but hopefully you got joyous. more hopefully you got more time to just be in baby mammy mode definitely definitely experience yeah yeah we have I have and like that so like I'd been on sick leave for so long and um, I ended up just handing in my notice um, and I've done that a few years ago now but uh, yeah so I'm at home full-time now with them um, and I need it I need just the the time at home as much as there's days I, I envy my husband going off to work and you know it's saying I'd love to just be going into work <laughs> but um, and I'll get there I'll get back to it I, I keep saying maybe when she starts school now or something, I'll get back to 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 do more. In your own but, time. Yeah. In my the, own time. The world yeah. can wait. There's there's always a chance. There's always, you know, you've got your skills yeah. built up. You can use them at any point, but your children need you for such a small amount of time in their life. So yeah. you know, and also you need I I I even know the pressure that ringing in to say, you know, your child like if my child is yeah. hand, foot and mouth and has to leave crash or something really small. Yeah. The absolute searing guilt to your employer. I can't imagine like carrying that, although unnecessary, you've nothing to yeah. feel guilty about, you know, but it's just a, such an added pressure on your own mental esteem as well. Yeah, no, it it definitely is. Um, because even when I did, you know, I, I spoke to, to, my my manager there you know when I was handing in my notice he said no I'm happy for you to stay if you wanted to stay on sick you know you can Mm. stay permanently you know not permanently but for as long as you need if you wanted to and I said I like that I didn't need the extra yeah um you know things I was dealing with I I didn't need that on top of it to have to have to think about eventually maybe going back to work or or continuously sending in the sick notes and things like that I said I'm kind of I'm done with it it's a mental burden yeah exactly um so I was just yeah I need to just cut ties and just say maybe maybe in a few years (laughs) but yeah yeah still going I hope that she continues on her progress and I hope that she continues you. you know um exciting years ahead for her yeah. um as you said she's like you know a young woman almost <laughs> yeah yeah scary and yeah. I hope that you continue to take care of you and prioritize your health in the grand scheme of your family's health and well-being thank you um, we have to all look after each other when this happens and thank you so much for sharing your story as you have done today because 
sharing conversations like this when people are in those moments in the depths of what you described can offer so much hope but also some perspective and a chance to come up for air and ask themselves are they doing enough to support themselves and care for themselves and is there something that the parents or the family need in order to protect your long-term well-being as a unit and not just about the cancer yeah yeah, well, it just helps even if one person can hear this and just say, oh, I think I'm, I'm slipping into that and like, I need to look after me in order to look after the child. I just think it, it, it'll help. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this Gold Ribbon Conversation. There are more Gold Ribbon stories written by those fighting childhood cancer on our website, childhoodcancer.ie, and you'll find a link in our show notes. If you can, we would love you to share this podcast across social media using hashtag Gold Ribbon Conversations as it can help more families to discover this show. This podcast was produced by The Brand Story for Childhood Cancer Ireland, hosted by Sinead O'Moore and sound production by Alan Breslin.